I'm Amy Halpern-Laugh. And I'm John Moscow. Welcome to Ethical Schools. Our guests today are David Edelman and Raul Baez. David is a social studies teacher and instructional coach at Union Square Academy for Health Sciences in New York City. His website is cagebustingclassrooms.com. Raul is a rising senior at Union Square Academy. He is a pharmacy student and is interested in a career in forensic science. Welcome, David and Raul. Thank you for having us, Amy and John. Thank you. David, we'd like to discuss the ways in which teachers' why shapes their how. Why do you teach history? So I think it's really important for students to make connections across all disciplines, but especially history. And I think as the world becomes a more tumultuous place and students are very, very interested in understanding why things happen a certain way, why governments make the decisions that they do, that it's important to look to the past for answers. And specifically, I think this year, in terms of some of the work that I did with my U.S. history students, um, you know, kids come in very eager to talk about current events, especially issues of social justice and racism. And it's important to have a context for that and for students to understand the origins of some of the difficulties that we have getting along. And so if you want to, or if students are motivated to talk about Black Lives Matter, the murders of Breonna Taylor and, and George Floyd, I think as a teacher, when you're teaching American history, you can't skip over the roots of racial justice in our past, and you have to start from the beginning. And very often that story is lost. As, as a student myself, I loved history. I studied history in college as well. And I feel like I learned very, very lit little about racial injustice and, and slavery. Um, and it wasn't until I became a teacher in training where I got more of an understanding of New York's role in slavery from both sides, from the abolitionist side and also the side that was economically tied to the South and the desire to support systemic racism and slavery. So I didn't want to, as a teacher, continue in the same pathway of ignoring this part of history. And I wanted to ensure that my students had a deep understanding and appreciation of, of local history and the complexities of history as well. David, why is your website called Cage Busting Classrooms? So, unfortunately, I think the reality of schooling today is for students and teachers alike, schools could often feel like cages. And I think the reason why is there's, there's a lot of fear in schools. And I'm not talking about fear from the pandemic and students' physical safety or fear from school shootings, but just general fear that comes from a system of high stakes standardized testing, 
prescriptive curriculums that don't give teachers the agency that they need to design purposeful instruction that connects to their students. High stakes punitive evaluations where, where teachers are scared to get feedback from their peers and from their school leaders. And schools in some respects need a reboot and there needs to be more joy in general. And that makes me think about the evaluations that I give to students at the end of the year feedback. And one thing that really stands out to me is when I ask students, what resonated with you the most? What was the most purposeful way that we spent time together during our learning? And without a doubt, the thing that all students talk about is the field trips that we go on, which is nice because it takes a lot of time and effort, but it's something that resonates with me and that's near and dear to my heart. So we go on a whole bunch of field trips with students. I take kids to criminal court to learn about social justice through the criminal justice system and to what extent should justice be left up to a jury. And we go and we actually sit in trial rooms and analyze the jury and analyze the makeup of the jury. We take kids to city council and I had students recently testify before city council about issues that they're most passionate about. And uh, we take kids to Wall Street and the Federal Reserve to learn about personal finance and learn about investing. And these are the types of things that I think most resonate with my students. And so what were some of the issues that uh, students wanted to testify at the city council about? So I had a student yesterday, actually, Audrey, who was our school salutatorian that testified remotely online about her thoughts on schools reopening in the context to the research that I was helping her with about New York City's historical open air schools movement. So in 1917, 1918, in response to the Spanish flu, New York City, they created a whole slew of these open air schools where students would learn outdoors because they thought it was healthier given the pandemic, but also for students that might have had pre-existing health conditions. And so she connected this to Brad Lander's proposal. You know, they have the open streets movement, took like closed down streets to give people more space to move around outside safely. So there was a proposal to close the streets outside of schools so there could be more outdoor learning that takes place. And so she talked about that and she talked about some of her proposals for how New York City should approach opening schools safely. Wow, that's cool. So David, you and your students, including Raul, created a virtual walking tour of slavery in New York City. What was your objective? So my short term objective was just, let's finish out the year with something engaging that kids are going to do because remote learning is difficult enough. And I wanted to come up with a project that I thought was meaningful, that would resonate with students, that would do justice to having students contemplate New York City's history and also learn about slavery as well. And I can, I can say that if you take a look at the, the site that we work together on, there's a whole spectrum 
of sites in terms of the, the screencasts that students did. And some need some work and some are beautiful pieces of art. But the thing that I'm most proud of is every student created a screencast. Okay, so when people talk about remote learning and how only 20% of students are logging in and most, most students aren't doing anything, this was the last activity that we did together as a class and every student contributed. And so that's something that I'm really proud of. That was my short term goal. Yeah, uh, this was one of the more interesting projects we did because with, with our research, we connect like current current buildings, not current events, like the current, yeah, the current landscape of New York. And we connected it to the past history. Like we connected like Wall Street, people walk by Wall Street every day, like a lot of people. And people will never know that the slave trade, uh, slave market was there. So it was interesting knowing like things we see every day, like we, we would never know that, like the past history that occurred in these places. So that's what made it like really interesting. That was our, that was our long-term goal. So raise awareness of my students, but it wasn't just enough to raise awareness of our students. I wanted my students to be able to share this with other people and with the general public. And initially we were gonna do that in person, the whole premise of this was we were going to do these walking tours in person, and it only became a, a virtual exercise given the pandemic. And then ultimately for to inspire students to take action in this project and in future projects, but ultimately we want the city to come to terms and acknowledge its past through perhaps permanent memorials in certain of these places. So as people walk by, they could learn about uh, New York City's history and specifically the role that New York City played in connection to slavery, both on the side of abolition and on the side, side of supporting the system of slavery as well. Raul, would you tell us what steps you and your classmates took to create the tour and why it was meaningful to you? All right, so first, the first step we took was we picked the sites that we were going to research. Then after we um, picked the sites that we was going to research, we found information to create thing. We, we created slides first about it. And then after the slides, we created a screencast about the slides and the information on the slides. And what made this so meaningful to me is, um, like I said before, it was like, this was really like one of the most interesting projects we've like done all year because of how engaged it made us and it was like it shows us things that we will never pay attention to things that we never we never knew we never seen before so that's what made it so meaningful and how did going virtual impact your experience role going virtual for me it had um its pros and cons like the pro for me is um is more focusing like it's, it's less distractions like what i would do every morning is um i have two little brothers so we were all come together in my room and we will all do our homework together. So it was like less distractions and it's easier to work. But the thing, the cons about virtual learning is I feel like in school, it was more like visual and more interactive. Like when learning in school, it was more engaging. Like on the um, smart board, like when there's slides and you hear people talking about it, like it's, it's easier to learn. And what about this particular project? I feel like um, going virtual for this project, it kept us like more engaged at home. So the, the tour itself, was it originally intended to be virtual or was it going to be an actual walking tour? 
it, it was originally intended to be an actual walking tour. So the way that I first conceived of getting my students involved in this is the fact of when I was a teacher in training at Hofstra University, one of my early experiences was my professor, Dr. Alan Singer, invited me to go and partner with the school whose students were actually involved in this. And so he was working with a teacher at the school who was helping to prep the students on specific sites in New York City, and they led an in-person walking tour. And I was one of the participants. And we'd walk around the city together, and we'd come to a site, and then a student would hold up a, a poster that they created that showed pictures and the historical significance of the site, and they would do their presentation right there on the streets of New York. So what most resonated with me about that was the fact that people were, that were just on their way to work or who were on vacation visiting New York City, they very often would pause, try to figure out what was going on, because this was, it didn't look like a regular walking tour. It didn't look like a big onion, you know, organized walking tour, and try to figure out what was going on. And in the process of that, they really learned something. And it made it real for the kids as well, because they weren't just speaking to their classmates, they were speaking to anybody. And that's really purposeful. And so, unfortunately, I think that's the hardest thing for kids to do, is to talk to people that they're unfamiliar with and new faces. And so perhaps in terms of doing this virtually, students felt of making a screencast. It's more accessible, right? They get multiple takes if they wanna like redo it or improve it as opposed to doing it live and in person. So I think ideally both are great. And, and we're hoping to continue and to build off of this both virtually and hopefully when this pandemic is over to be able to have students lead in-person walking tours as well. I have a question actually for both of you, but first for Raul. Raul, did this change how you see the city? Yeah, it definitely did see how I changed the city. The two sites that, I, two things that I worked on was the Gideon and the Great Dock and the Wall Street Slave Market. And the um, the Gideon and the Great Dock, it was the um, the first ship that ever brought slaves to New York. So what was, what was so interesting about learning about this was like, people wouldn't know that, people would think that there was no slaves in New York. Like, you don't really learn about that, like about slaves being brought to New York. So knowing like, the Gideon and the Great Dock and the, the slave trade market on, um, on Wall Street, there was actually a wall that the slaves built. And like people, people will never know this. So it actually, it really did change my view on the city because it was things that I, would, I never thought happened. Like it opened my eyes to the hidden history around the city. And David, I mean, you've been obviously engaged with this, as you were saying, since you saw this tour years ago. But how has working on these tours changed your impression of the city? I say to my students all the time, read the plaque. Take a moment, stop, look around you, because there's interesting things to be learned everywhere. And I really value that. And I ask my students, what did you learn yesterday after school? right? Because I want students to be learning as much outside of school as they are inside of school. And I want them to share this learning with others. I want, I want students to go home and discuss what they're learning with their parents. 
and perhaps they can learn something new from their parents. Perhaps something about local history or their family history that they didn't that they didn't know before. And just going back to virtual learning, I think one of the major positives about virtual learning for me is the fact that I got to be inside of students' households like during virtual learning. And like the one-on-one conversations that I had with students where they gave me tours of, of their home and they introduced me to their parents. And if I was working with a student one-on-one, it became an opportunity for me not to just engage their son and daughter in learning, but to get their parents involved as well. And so I think very often that's the hardest thing as a teacher is how do you authentically get parents involved in instruction? But if the instruction is taking place in your house and your parents are in your house, it's an opportunity for everybody to learn together. And so that's something that I'm really going to try to build upon um, this upcoming school year because there's definitely going to be a lot of learning taking place in students' homes this year and perhaps future years as well. And I want to be able to to utilize parents as well and for them to also be benefiting from the learning that we're doing together. Raul, most of the time in school, students are primarily learners, but in this project, students are teachers. And David was just saying, you are teaching your parents as well as the purpose of this project is to educate the public. So how does it feel to be a teacher as well as a learner? It feels good to be a teacher. It feels good to learn. Like first we had to learn about these these projects. Like before we created the slides and these podcasts, we had to learn about the project. So like learning about the topic before we before we have to make these slides and create these pod, the podcasts, it makes us it makes us feel like like in control. Like we're we're, we're in control of our own learning, and we we have the opportunity to teach other people about the hidden history of the city. How, how has George Floyd's murder and the subsequent movement for Black Lives affected the meaning or the impact of the project for you and your friends or your family as much as you can get a sense from, from people you're talking to, Raul? So um, we have a long history of racism that stems from slavery. And George Floyd's murder has, has made me more interested in, in finding out this history of racism and slavery. So the murder of George Floyd made me wanna wanna learn more and get deeper into 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 the project, into the topics of the project. And have you seen any impact on conversations with your friends or your family members? Like have you Yeah, um go ahead. Yeah, I've seen a lot of conversation with my mom and family members. Like my mom, she's working with her own church. Like they they have meetings with each other for peaceful protests. Like everybody I speak to, like they want change and they, they want to bring about change. And me too, like I would like to bring change. And I feel like the only way we could do that is through peaceful protests, through things that's making, making our voices being heard and making heads, heads turn, making people notice. I feel like that's the only way that change could be thought about. Has the project helped at all? I mean, when, you're, when you've been talking, say, with your family about the project, I'm just wondering, because, you know, David is talking about connections between current things and the past and history and so on. Mm -hmm. Just sort of interested in the 
fact that it was a coincidence that you were working on this project about the history of slavery in New York City, and then all of a sudden the issue of Black Lives becomes, you know, what they're saying is the largest protest movement in American history. So I was just wondering about whether it made it, whether you found that people were more interested in your project, given what's going on in the world as a whole. Yes, uh, I feel like given um, what's going on now made it with the topics of the project like more interesting because what happened was a former George Floyd died from racism and what we what we're focusing on is slavery and it's amazing to know like slavery has in New York not like all around like slavery really stems back really far in history like this this has been going on for a long time so. It, it makes people more interested to, to know like the history, like how it started and how it's still going on now. I, I think another thing it helped students to kind of contextualize and think about is very often, I think when teachers teach about slavery or racism in general, they, they approach the premise of it from the fact that racism occurs because there's hate in people's hearts. And that, that, that's part of it, but there's also more complexities to that, you know, that stem more so from power, who has power and economics, very similar, you know, who's, who's benefiting from this system. And so I think it's important from, for students to think, think about all the root causes that contribute to systems. I think it's interesting too, the fact that for people to think about, well, what was New York's role or who was benefiting most from the North's or New York's ties to the South. And so I think that gives students another lens about inequality as well. You know, that's really powerful what you're saying, because as you were saying it, I was thinking about the fact that I think you're absolutely right that a lot of people's focus is on hate. And your tour was really talking about institutions and talking about profit and talking about, I think one of your sites was that one of the founders, of, if I remember correctly, what's now Chase, mm -hmm. made his money as a slave trader. Citibank. Citibank, okay. So next year, Citibank and Chase will be the same. But uh, yes, uh, Citibank. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's a really powerful message is that it isn't just an individual thing. It's who's making money off of it. Where does the wealth of the city, the wealth of the country come from? I mean, we had an episode recently where a person from Edbuild was talking about how because of the history of discrimination in housing, that one of the results is that majority white school districts annually get $27 billion more in funding than major school districts that are majority students of color. And that's a direct result of, of government policy over the years uh, that people might not automatically think of when they think about discrimination and racism until they start looking at it. Are there other examples? You were talking before about some of the trips that you take, the field trips that you take students on. Are there some other examples that you want to mention of where you've connected local history to current events? Well, I think I already spoke to this as well, but I think the 
So I don't want to be repetitive, but I think a good answer and probably the, the most recent one is that I had the salutatorian of our school who was a student of mine who just graduated, Audrey, who decided to research the history of schooling in, in New York City and specifically look at um, the open air schools movement with an understanding of she wanted to get more of an understanding or gain deeper insight into perhaps how this could inspire teaching in New York City during the pandemic. I mean, other things, I'm actually, uh, there's a retired teacher by the name of Marty Raskin, who has amassed the largest collection of public school artifacts, probably in the world. And he's a, he's a retired New York City teacher himself. And I was fascinated. I want to learn more about the artifacts in his collection. And perhaps there would be purposeful ways that I can incorporate them into my teaching. And so, because I love schooling. And if you can learn about history and current events and make these deep connections through a, a school-related artifact, that's pretty cool. So some of the artifacts that he shared with me, he shared student journals actually from students from from our school building washington irving going back a hundred over a hundred years that i share with students so they can get a sense of what was it like being a student during the depression in this very same school what was it like being a student when america was at war during world war ii and there's also some interesting artifacts that i have there was a, I forgot what elementary school it was. There was an elementary school in Queens and I have, actually, you know what, it's right here. I'm gonna pull it out. <laughs> this is it. This is a student work product. It says Bill of Rights Week, February 13th, 1941 from PS58Q. And if you look in it, it describes because we do this at our school. I, I facilitate uh, a civics week every year at my school. So it's interesting to see what civics week looked like at other schools in the 1940s. So the first thing is the salute to the flag. The second thing is a selection from the Bible. The third is a prayer of Thanksgiving. There's a patriotic selection. Then there's a song, God Bless America. And so I would ask, I would show this to students and I would ask them, what stands out to you? You know, what might you find surprising? And we would connect that to our understanding of the First Amendment and freedom of religion and the interpretations of that and how schools go about providing freedom of religion, right? Does that mean that we abstain from all religious activity in schools to begin with? It's very interesting for students. And that was a piece of student work from a school in New York City. And I think those are, you know, those type of artifacts are very, very relevant to get students interested in understanding connections between local history and important themes in history and current events. That is so cool. David, it sounds to me as though some of the experiences that you're providing for your students are really what we would call grounded in ethics. And ethics in the ethical school sense, which is Deweyan ethics, um, the thinking about the impacts that various courses of action have, 
not only on students themselves and their immediate families and communities, but also other humans and animals other than humans. Do you find the language of ethics at all helpful in your lessons? Very much so. I mean, my philosophy as a, a teacher and how I approach teaching other people's children is the fact that we should look at each other as equals in the process of learning. And students come to the table with incredible knowledge and past experiences, and we can't ignore those things. We need to elevate student voice in our classrooms and the activities that we're doing outside of our classrooms as well should be a platform for our students to express themselves and to learn more about the things that they're most passionate about. And one of the nicest things in terms of doing these projects with students is we're both learning and we're learning together. And Raul knows as much if not more about the Gideon and the Great Dock or the Wall Street slave market than, than I do. And so I can sit down, I can be a learner, and we both have the opportunity to experience being a facilitator and a teacher and also being a learner. And that really fosters relationships with students too. Students, first and foremost, they need teachers that are passionate about teaching and also passionate about learning. And so I want my students to see me as someone who is inquisitive, that wants to act on certain things. I want them to act on certain things, but I want my students to think of me as someone who is just first and foremost, someone who loves learning and that will celebrate the, the learning that they do as well. David, relationships are integral to teaching and learning. In this last spring, teachers had the advantage of already having established relationships with their students when they had to switch to virtual learning. How do you establish rapport with new students when you have to start the semester online? So first off, I don't know if I'm gonna start the, the semester on, online, but regardless of if I get to start the semester in person or online, some of the fundamental things that I do are going to be the same. So every year, the first activity that I do with students is I have them create a summer learning moment poster. And I make one, I make one myself as well. So maybe I'll give a little thought to like what I'm going to write about or the poster that I'm going to make for the first day of school. But I ask students to think of anything that they experienced over the summer and to think critically about it by zooming in and being specific about what happened to them, and then zooming out, and what's the big picture? What did you learn? And they share these not only with me, so I get to learn about them, but they share them with each other, so they get to learn about each other. And that's important for a number of reasons. First, it emphasizes that we all come in with experiences, some good, some bad, but you can learn from them, which is the most important thing, and your experiences make you the person that you are. And we do real structured sharing so people feel comfortable sharing. And that students also realize that they don't necessarily, sharing doesn't mean just raising your hand, everybody looks at you and you, and you talk. You can share by creating an artifact like this and you can do a gallery walk of them and students can leave comments and feedback to one another like 
what resonated with you, what did you learn? And so this was, I've started off the year doing this activity for a number of years now. And regardless if it were virtual or if we're in person, we're going to do this as well because it's important for students to do. Perhaps even more so if I don't, if we're not in person and I don't get to have, you know, unique, interesting side conversations with students that, that happens all the time. Um, the second thing that I want to do, and I learned after, you know, a few months of virtual learning that there is so much power in one-on-one -on -one video conferencing with students. You get to learn about students, they get to learn about you. I mean, that's the thing that I would probably miss the most when schools are closed. And so, but I do feel confident that they could be recreated virtually. And so one thing that I would do is I would set up uh, a time to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with students. And maybe I would center that conversation on their summer learning poster. And, you know, I'm the type of teacher, I know this doesn't go for every teacher, I get it, like there's other things going on in, in their households while they're teaching that they might not feel comfortable with their camera on or for students to see where they live, but that's not me. I'm, I'm an open book and I think it really helps to foster trust and relationships with students. And so I want students to see what my life is like. And during the pandemic, when things were, were difficult, I didn't pretend they were. When I had hardships and struggles, like I would share that with them. And I want them to see my daughter running into my room and grabbing my leg and, you know, <laughs> distracting me from whatever I'm doing, because that's real life. And I want to see what their real lives are as well. And I think that, you know, this telecommunication really breaks down those boundaries and people could really be vulnerable if they allow themselves to be in, and see one another and see what, what their existence is and what their lives are like. And so that's something that I definitely want to harness as well if we begin the school year remotely. Uh, these are really great takeaways that I think could be really useful to people. I have a, a separate kind of question, which is you've said that you think that collaboration among teachers is valuable. Do you have suggestions for teachers who'd like to collaborate on projects with other teachers? Yes. So when I speak to schools are like cages, it's not just schools in general. I mean, each individual class, unfortunately, is in some respects a cage. And it's disheartening to me when you walk through a school and you see all these teachers doing incredible things with their doors closed. Because what message does that send to students? Right, that learning should be shared, it should be celebrated on a large scale, but also as a teacher, like, you know, not to have exposure to other classrooms. And I, you know, there's nothing special about me. I'm just a product of the experiences that I've had. And thankfully, I've had wonderful mentors along the way who helped me to become the teacher that I am. And that inspired me and, and, and helped me. And so it's super, super important for teachers to collaborate with one another. It takes a lot of courage and it also takes a lot of creativity. And it also takes a lot of trust, which develops with time. It's been a struggle for me. It's actually part of my job, but it's been a struggle for me to get other teachers involved in these types of projects. But I feel confident given the success and also the curiosity from other people 
it really gets teachers thinking about, wow, this is really cool. And people care. And when teachers see other people that care about something and that are excited about something, they'll get excited as well. And if they see students especially excited about something, they'll get excited as well. So I'm hoping to continue to use, I think my students are my best outreach. And when they talk about these projects that they're doing, it falls on the ear of teachers. And perhaps if they were deaf ears, they become a little bit more open. And I think that there's really creative, unique ways to get other teachers, regardless of what discipline that they're in, to contribute. There's always ways to contribute. You have some specific suggestions, either of examples of things you've been able to do or things that you'd like to be able to do? Yeah, definitely. So I need to give that some more thought for this specific project. But our students have also been engaged in a project around sustainability, specifically water safety at our school, because our school was uh, identified as one of the many schools in, in New York City that had elevated lead levels in their water. And our students didn't have access to clean drinking water. And so we did a number of civic action projects related to that, including using some money that the city gave us to have a school-wide vote and students voted to install two new water fountains at our school with bottle fillers and filtration systems. But that also inspired us to continue that work. And since students are gonna be out of school, largely this school year, we wanna ensure that their water is safe as at home as well. And so there seems to be a lot of support amongst teachers and students at my school where we're gonna encourage everyone in our school to order a free lead test kit from New York City, which will arrive in their mail and they'll be able to test their water quality and safety at home. And I'm, I'm gonna encourage students to do that collaboratively with their families. And then collaboratively, after we get the results, we're going to analyze the results of these water analysis tests. And perhaps it will spark pursued <laughs> civic action based upon what the results are. But, um, you know, the experiences that students have making this map, so we use like the platforms and technology that we use, give us experience to build upon. So, you know, perhaps we'll make a similar map to provide information about the results of these water quality tests. We can use the same technology and software to do that. Will you try to involve other teachers in that project? Yes. So already there's, there's ELA teachers, English language arts teachers, who are going to get students involved in writing speeches related to some of the civic action projects that we've done so far and ones that we're gonna do in the future. And they've already been doing this work. Students have been writing amazing speeches in their class. It's just in isolation. It's not necessarily tied to the other things that students are learning about in their other classes. And so when learning gets tied together, it just builds, it snowballs, it fosters additional collaboration. If it's a success, it's a win. And wins are important because then teachers feel good about what they're doing. And it helps break down this cage, this cage mentality of I do my thing, you do your thing. So our anatomy teacher is interested in talking about the effects that lead has on the body and to do additional like research and projects related to that and uh, our biology teacher as well. So I think it just builds on one another. And it's awesome when 
things aren't one off. So the work that we start, so like the water sustainability project that we start with students two years ago, we're still continuing that thread. We don't forget about it. We don't, we don't just take on something new. We continue it, but it morphs into something else. And it might take like a different avenue, but it's still relevant. I think that's really important. David, what do you hope students will come away with from your history classes and from knowing you as a person? Ultimately, if I can spark students' curiosity and I can develop students that are curious and want to learn more and that are excited about acting on that, then I feel like I've accomplished my goal. And I tell students that all the time. And that's what I praise them for. I don't, you know, I don't place that much emphasis on grades. You know, you got a 90 something, you got an 80 something. It doesn't really matter. That doesn't matter. As long as I feel like I've sparked some curiosity in you and you want to you act or do something, then I feel self-worth as a teacher and I feel like you're going to go on to do great things. Raul, are you interested in history as a, as a field? And if so, you know, why? What, what is interesting about history? I find history really interesting. And one event that, that made me find history like so interesting was um, in the beginning of the year, we went on a, a tour of the school. Uh, we walked around the school and we, and we seen like pictures that, we, that I see as pictures, as maps, it's many things that I walk past every day. Like I notice it, but I don't pay attention to it. And we talked about it. We seen the, like what the Dutch used to wear, the, um, the fur hats. We seen the Native Americans the Dutch in the past. And when you pay attention, like it, it's, it's so much hidden history around. History is everywhere. That's what makes history so, so interesting. Well, thank you so much, David and Raul. And thank you, listeners. If you like this episode, please consider subscribing and giving us a rating or review. This helps other people to find the show. Check out our website, ethicalschools.org, for more episodes and articles and subscribe to our monthly emails. We post annotated transcripts of our interviews to make them easy to use in workshops or classes. And we work with consultants to offer customized social emotional learning or SEL programs with a focus on ethics for schools and youth programs in the New York City area. Contact us at hosts at ethicalschools.org. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ethical Schools. Our editor and social media manager is Amanda Denchi. Till next week. Thank mm-hmm. you.